You're listening to Recover, a podcast exploring what it means to rediscover something we lost inside ourselves. Whether through addiction, grief, or trauma, we're all connected by the feelings of sometimes losing our way. Let's unlearn what got us here and find ourselves again together. And now your host, founder and facilitator at Invitation Wellness, Sierra Frost. You're listening to Recover. I'm Sierra Frost, and today I'm here with Doug Kester. Thanks for being here with me, Doug. (laughs) It's great to be here. (laughs) Awesome. So when you think of the word recovery or that idea, how does that resonate with you or click for you in your life or experience? Well, let's see. At first, I too thought of it as a, you know, recovery from something super intense that I went through. And I'm like, wait, have I gone through anything that extraordinary? (laughs) But then as you reframed it as just kind of a normal part of life um, and how we're all recovering from some aspect of losing ourselves. I, I really resonate with that because I feel like I'm constantly um, reaching into myself and trying to reconnect parts of myself that I feel like I have lost, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I love how you phrase that as that, that we've all, we're all in some stage of recovery and, and cycling through it. Are there specific things that you feel like you have recovered from or worked with in in your life as far as the realm of recovery and what that looks like for you? Yes. You know, as I, I reflected on it for a little bit last night and I was thinking how I was younger, I felt... I felt so disconnected from a lot of the people around me, the adults around me, because I I honestly felt like they were a little bit emotionally immature, even though I was obviously emotionally immature and they were caring for me in every way. And I'm sure I cried a lot. So uh, I anyway, but I remember feeling inside this like feeling of like, wow, is this what it is? Is this like what people are? And and then as I went through life, I feel like I too began to like lose parts of myself, whatever that was. And I can't even tell you what it was like that part of myself that felt more connected to the world and more empathetic to like people's emotions around me. And then as you know, I became older and in school obviously has a big impact on that. And as I went through school, I got more in my head and less connected to my heart and less connected to feeling my feelings that are were going through me and feeling what other people were feeling around me. And I really feel like that is a big part of my recovery of like trying to recover that connection that deeper connection of feelings and emotions because I see now is like that is so powerful and so important and how many of us and maybe even our our culture and our society in some ways have have lost that yeah so almost almost like you were indirectly given this message that we don't talk about emotions or things that maybe we feel some sort of shame or discomfort maybe is a better word around it and and it confused you as a child and something that I would weave into this that I would be interested to know what your input is is this idea a lot of times when I'm talking with colleagues who work within the fields of addiction or healthcare or even education with with kids is that kids and people with addiction have this sense of authenticity of just total rawness because of whatever situation that they're in and you know kids just don't have a filter they just haven't learned what types of things that maybe society has told us is not okay to talk about or whatever and and it's extremely refreshing to be in these circles 
because I think a lot of times in, in the world, we do feel this disconnect to other people where it's natural and we're biologically wired to connect with each other, but there's something that's stopping that. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah, it, it, is, it is what I mean. And I can so relate to now as a parent to um, two young children, seven and five, I, um, I see it from both perspectives now because as a parent, I'm like, you know, they might be going through some intense emotional. I have two little boys. They're both boys and they are very emotional, like intensely emotional. And now as like an older man, I'm like, oh my gosh, like really you're getting that emotional about like not getting your nuts on a Sunday or something. <laughs> and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so now I have like in, in that other perspective of like, I do. And I have to catch myself so frequently, like not shaming their emotions like and not like rolling my eyes of like that is not worthy of that intensity of emotion <laughs> and i always remind myself like okay that emotion they're feeling is might be they might be saying it's connected to this thing where they've like can't find one of their cars or something but it's still something that I feel like I do have to honor within them. I cannot, if I shame them for it, they, they really do seem to like start to close down. But if I, if I help them through it and allow them to ha have it, like part of me wants to like stop it and be like, stop feeling this. Let me, what can I do to fix this right now? But that doesn't really work if I, if I allow them to just be, to just be there with their emotion, be like, I'm okay with this. You move through what you have to move through. Then I feel like it, things, in the end, things come out at a much rosier place. If I do try to, and I'm not perfect, I still even, who knows, even today I'll probably be like, oh my gosh, I can't deal with this right now. You're this emotional. But I, I always come back, if I do feel like that and I do make a mistake of not honoring it fully, I always try to come back later, like, you know, five minutes later and be like, I, I feel like I didn't, you know, really handle it right, you know, and I will go back and kind of clean it up, I say. We're just like, we need to clean this up because this was messy. Emotions get messy. We both felt <laughs> weird. So let's clean it up. But it's, it's so, it's such a, it's kind of exciting in some ways too, because it's like dynamic and changing and emotions are intense. Emotions are, are cool, really. I always wanted to like push them down because I'm like, you're not in control. Your emotions are in control. And we, we do that to get through life, right? We can't like walk around like just letting these things out everywhere because we're in professional places and places with kids like anyway so it's just such a tricky exciting balance to figure out yeah and i'm as you're describing this i'm thinking so we know like kids kids develop and increasingly have the ability to feel fully before the part of their brain is is developed that then has the emotional regulation and then we as adults maybe our brains are further developed or or fully from what we know but what do we really know about brains right? <laughs> <laughs> or we're really learning a lot more um as time goes on so so you have this like this fully emotional but not regulated little brain and then this fully also emotional and maybe regulated <laughs> big exactly. brain. But emotional regulation is a skill that we're often not taught in schools or maybe our parents don't have these skills. And so there's almost like this cycle. So I'm relating what you're saying about your experience being a young person and feeling a little bit disconnected and now kind of being in the opposite position and understanding the importance of honoring the emotions of, of young people and really knowing that we don't get to decide what intensity people feel, anyone feels anything mm -hmm. at. And that's just a really interesting and I think relatable cycle of, of generations. I feel like, um, 
like for myself, like I allow myself to have emotions for the most part and intense feelings. But then I have this whole thing where I try not to like indulge in them, meaning that you can take it instead of just letting it pass through you, you know, and kind of in a meditative state where you watch and be like, wow, that's that's happening. Okay, I'm feeling that. But then I also find myself like indulging in them and like, oh, I'm going to take this to the limit. And especially this whole lately, I've been really thinking about this thing I call the inner tyrant, which is like this part of me that wants to like beat myself up and wants to like um, feel these bad emotions and like be it like it's fed by this. So it's like this little black hole inside me that's like, oh, I'll take your attention. I'll take whatever you got in it. It, you know, criticizes myself and it, you know, any way it can manipulate any situation to make it kind of a, a negative and feed itself. And I'm always like, okay, I can't, it's like, you can't battle it because it's just like gives it more of this weird energy. So it's almost like the only way to deal with it is just to like be with it, not feed it, but just, uh, you know, observe it in some ways. Mm -hmm. And when I was little, I think I fed it so much as in I would go up to my room crying. Something something would set me off. I remember be crying. I remember like saying to myself over and over, like, nobody loves me. Nobody loves me. And um, and I know that wasn't true. Like another part of my my being was like, that's not true. Hello. <laughs> like These people love you. <laughs> but I would just do it anyway. And um, anyway, so that's kind of the difference between like fully like I was really indulging in those feelings at that time and I'm not sure why lots of things were going on in my life but um now I try to be a little more observant be like okay I don't need to go down that intensity for that long like feel it and let it go and if it keeps coming maybe it is deeper and it's okay for a moment to go deeper with it but it's never permanent that's the cool thing about it yeah and <laughs> And the and I think the thing that switches it from this like almost all encompassing like we are victims of the emotion or of the tyrant um, is that attitude of curiosity, which is I know yeah. is a really big strength for you is that you get excited about learning things. So to watch yourself or the emotions to be able to almost be unattached just enough to watch it as you just described is then like, oh, this is an interesting movie that I'm watching and also <laughs> yeah, feeling exactly. at the same time and like, <laughs> like human experience or, or whatever that is. I'm wondering if you can speak to the idea of kind of emotional, emotional intelligence, but the accessibility of feeling emotions and talking about emotions as a man or growing up as a boy or having boys. I know you've worked with a lot of young people, uh, in this, in this realm of emotions and t tell me more about what that experience has been like for you. Oh, well, I, well, actually my son who's in first grade, I mean, we talk about it a lot, like what happened at school and, even now, he's getting the messages that certain emotions at school are not appropriate for a boy. Because um, he got, whatever, a soccer ball, he got kicked in the stomach, and and he said, yeah, I cried. And um, so he was telling me that story. And then, like, a few, couple weeks later, something happened. I'm like, oh, did you cry? That, that sounds like it was it really hurt. And he's like, no, if I cry, people will say things to me or, like, make fun of me so I don't cry. So, and obviously I had the same thing go on in me of like certain emotions for, for boys aren't okay, or certain emotions aren't okay to be expressed that intensely. So it is, it's so tricky because you have to, um, you know, you have to recover from that whole idea. And then, but then also not go in too deep and just like indulge in it. So there's always that little tightrope of um, going, okay, like how, how real is this? And um, how much do I want to, to feel it? And it's, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to it. I, 
part of me is like, I know this is kind of like this, even this topic, which we, I had no, you know, I wasn't thinking we we're going to talk about this, but it's awesome because I, I think as much as it seems like, you know, maybe just something like a, you know, curious little part of humans. No, I, I'm starting to think like, this is like our world, what, like our survival of our species is this. Like, because so many of men and people in our world in power are, are dealing with this inner tyrant, dealing with this part of them that is like this soul-sucking part of them that is, is negative and giving them negative feedback. And um, they're responding to, and when you... Sometimes I feel like people project outwardly this this inner tyrant that's going on, this voice and this thing that's inside them. They project it out and all this intensity and anger and, um, you know, demonizing people and stuff is really like the stuff that's going on inside of them. So, like, I know it sounds crazy, but, like, our whole world is, like, teetering because with, well, like, nuclear weapons and war and all this stuff in this balance of these these little inner tyrants inside these mostly men that are, like, have huge power, but inside they're, they're, they don't. They're being controlled by this, this part of humanity that really can go away in an instant we can stop feeding it and we can be the totality of ourselves which could be so amazing if this part of us wasn't holding us back yeah the the clients that i've worked with who are men for the most part i don't want to be inaccurate but i i think that all of them have described this sense of what you're describing with your son something happened at like they got old enough to the age where crying or feeling deeply was not acceptable so the two acceptable emotions were mostly like happiness and anger mm-hmm. right and when right. you feel angry what do you do you do something violent right you yell or you punch something or, mm-hmm. or whatever and to be told that a part of us is not okay is different than being told that we made a mistake. Most people have at least somewhat of a skill base to say, okay, I messed up. Now I want to do something to make it better. But to but the shame, which is different, of being told part of you is wrong over and over and over again. And then growing up and being in these positions of power that you're describing, I don't think that you sound off base of reality at all. I think that this is very much a driving force for a bigger picture. And we know, we want to think that logic is what is our decision making, but it's not. (laughs) We want to be like, well, logically, this is what my brain said, so this is what I do. Well, no, it was how you felt. And then then we have this whole system in our bodies that's based on emotions and our behavior is triggered by that. So, so it's really emotional. So if we're in this position of power or leadership, I think maybe is a better word to use, how are we effective leaders if we don't have the ability to get through this shame or we've been told that this part of us is not okay and we're leading incompletely. We're leading from a place that is not a whole human, but we're leading billions of whole humans forward. That makes sense to me, that there's a discrepancy that needs to be healed or balanced there. And it's exciting because we, with as much as like our world's on this brink, we know we can, we can change it. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have the power to yeah. do it and it can change fast and we can like become conscious again and oh, it just could be beautiful. And, but it's hard work. It is work, you know, and you have to like look at yourself and each other deeper and you know, and feel, feel more. Uh, for me, that, that's what brings in the heart. Cause, um, one of my big passions in the, in life is, is the heart. And I know many of us, um, like we've, we hear all those phrases, like speaking from the heart, um, and just all those aspects of our lives that are heart, but it's actually, for me, it's like a real thing. I don't know if um, if you have studied heart math at all, which is really cool nonprofit. 
that um, is studying the heart and in other places all around just how powerful the heart is. And so I see it as like the brain is this polarizing instrument because it sees things in black and white where the heart doesn't have like a, a negative and a positive. It kind of it kind of just is and it's kind of not polarized so intensely. So when we do go into our heart with a heart focus and and this is it's not just like, you know, wishy-washy stuff either. It's like the heart has a brain. The heart has neurons. There's whole like cardio neurologists people that are out there. It has it produces this field around our bodies that can go up to like five, six feet around our bodies. It can be measured, um, you know, up to like three or four feet with with instruments around our body. So our brain is even immersed in this heart's field and the heart is even it's it actually is the first thing that comes when you are being created in the womb. It's not the brain first. It's your heart first. And we all like come out of the heart. It's just such a powerful thing. And I feel like our indigenous cultures who who really made spaces to communicate through their heart, with their heart, and made that a norm is a really powerful way of being. And that is that is maybe how we're going to get through this is to recognize that, yeah, the brain is awesome and it does so many things and there's so many untapped things to it. But the heart has like an equal role. In our world, I remember when I first met you a few years ago. That was a topic that we landed on was the Heart Math Institute and the idea of the electromagnetic field that you're talking about, and and the heart. You can tell me if this isn't right, but that the heart's um, magnetism is like six times of the brain or something. And yes, then, and it's the a, it's, like yes, the electrical. Times. Yeah, it's a lot. So to imagine that, um, to like kind of try and bring that into this concrete world, to imagine that difference is really quite huge. And so how does that show up for you in the world and in this work? I know you are a big advocate and the work that you do in Alaska is really all about bringing this heart space to the community and being able to, to heal in ways of connection is there some is there some modality or experience that you found to be really powerful or how would you describe the way that this work presents itself into the world for you i would say okay so i get i'm lucky enough to teach a lot of classes in high schools and middle schools and um and around our community on various topics, mostly of violence prevention and bystander um, awareness and, and bystander intervention and all that stuff. But in those are in so many different things, but really in the end, so much of it, as I start talking, I always try to relay a personal connection. And it kind of gets you down instead of like, I mean, as I am more apt to do, because I'm, I'll just start rambling on, and I'm excited, and I'm on my head. I'm like, woo! But if you can like go sink down a little bit in your heart and in kind of like your gut, and then and really express yourself in in a different way of like, this is my connection to this issue and why I am here with you right now, and it draws people in, and it. And I feel like not only does it draw you yourself in to a deeper part of yourself, it draws the other people in your audience in. And I, I used to, and I'm still like this, where I like to stay surface and funny and laugh and just like goof around. But when I, when I do that, when I take that moment to draw us in, it doesn't have to be all, all like serious and crazy, but it's like, you come in and then it's like it creates this connection between between you and your audience that I feel like is really important when you want to get your message across. Because oftentimes when I'm up speaking, I realize like I could say this with my eye, you know, obviously with my eyes closed or you just you lose your disconnection from your audience. And I and I realize when I'm doing that, what I'm saying is probably just passing right through them. It's not they're not 
getting it, you know? It might sound great and it might be exciting and, you know, you hope they're getting it somewhere, but then I realize I'm like, no, they're they're not. So you have to keep coming back to that place of like connecting, of really connecting, and especially with young people, because they're so good at tuning things out and thinking about other things. And you, a lot of times when we say things, it triggers all this, you know, this cascade of like, oh, experiences and emotions and memories which is great but you then you lose this connection so you you keep having to bring them back into the room especially talking about violence intervention and people's stories it can all be it can either disconnect you and you disassociate you know with yourself in the moment or it can it can reconnect you intensely so you're always playing that little little line there Yeah, and all of this makes sense. We know that we're biologically wired to connect as humans. It's a fundamental want that we have. And storytelling is ancient. I don't know when that started, but forever ago. Exactly. And and we know that when we hear a story and when we share a story from beginning, middle to end, that our bodies actually release oxytocin and chemicals that make us feel cared for and connected to. And I, one piece that you mentioned that I really love that I think is important is that sometimes we think of these places or these conversations about violence or suicide or recovery and we get uncomfortable because they are emotional topics and like you said we all have stories they've all affected our lives in different ways and we we imagine or we get a little caught up in the story that we have that it will be uncomfortable or it will open up a painful wound that will then feel painful and that it doesn't have to be that heavy we can still tap into our hearts in a way that is lighter and saying like, hey, you're important and I'm really excited to be here in this room with you today talking about this topic that is important to me on a deeper level than simply intellectual or simply because it's my job. And and I love that you communicate the root of why you do things from your heart versus a lot of us show up because it's what we're told to do or or we don't we have those deeper meanings but we don't communicate them through and I I really appreciate that about you was there something that happened or a moment in your life that that made you consider how you are approaching the world or consider looking into more of the heart and how the heart works um, and all of these topics or like what led you to that point in, in really shifting the way that you're raising your kids and interacting with people in your career and maybe with yourself as well. Yeah, I, w- I was thinking about this. I don't know if there's like one particular moment there. <laughs> so one, I, I know exactly. There's so many moments. Actually, every day I'm like, wait, what am I doing? <laughs> um, oh, geez. I, I, you know, this one funny moment of disconnect, it was just hit me as you were saying that is I remember I, when I was growing up, I wouldn't, I only had my, I had my sister and her friends. I didn't have guy friends. So I did a lot of like dancing in my basement (laughs) with them. And I remember a guy friend said to me once like, oh, I can't believe, I'm going to tell everyone you're like dancing in the basement. (laughs) So that's when I chose to like play football, which I loved. And I love football and um, I still love football, but um, it really was like hard on my body. It really was like, I mean, my football coach would be like, sacrifice your body. Basically, like they would say that. So that said, I remember just having some times when my body was not feeling up to perfect. And um, and I think it started with that, like really like some things going on, not only emotionally and mentally, but my body. I'm like, how can I heal myself? And it kind of like puts you, it put me down a path. I've always been very like spiritual person. So I'm always fascinated in so many different cultures and their connection to spirit and, and how that, you know, plays out in their world and how I can take little parts of that for, for my world. 
But so much of it, as I read and studied that, had to do with, I felt like, the heart. Because so much of it is connecting with aspects of ourselves and others and world and nature and the goddess or God or, you know, and I feel like, yes, the brain can intellectualize all that, but it really doesn't, it doesn't fully connect. And that's when, that's when I think it happened when I slowly began reconnecting to those parts of myself from my body and like that story about me and like in dance. So I put all that aside because I was afraid. And like, so then I started doing that again, like dancing again and, and just being more carefree. And that I feel like it helped me to like uh, engage those parts to me to like reconnect with myself and then therefore the world. Mm. That's beautiful. And then I know that you're also, you do a lot of drumming and musical stuff. So is this the practices that you would say keep you sort of back aligned or reminded when we all, I'm thinking of it as like a target. And if the bullseye is, you know, making your choices and speaking each time, if we could be perfect humans from the heart and then there's, you know, circles around it and we, we fluctuate getting mm. further away and then we're reminded and mm-hmm. we get pulled back into the middle. So are, is it the dancing and the drumming and that those types of exercises that get you back to your center? Or tell me more about that. Yeah, I so I do because I think about things a lot. So I do polarize things as like masculine and feminine. And I feel like... a often in our world, in our spirituality, we masculinize a lot of things, if that's even a word. (laughs) But we, so instead of like, um, like in church, when I was little, I went to church and I still am like connected to all that. But a lot of the things you learn there is like you're talking about these stories. When I feel like the feminine is more like direct experience. And a lot of that hasn't been honored as much. So yes, like dancing and drumming is like direct experience. There's no, especially when we drum in a drum circle, we're not trying to, you know, intellectualize a rhythm, which is awesome too. And we, I've done that too. But when you're in a group, you're just like allowing these energies to like move through you as a group and things go like a wave like up and down and it takes you to all these different places that you didn't you know you would never be able to get to if you intellectualized the experience and like tried to think it through and how we're going to do this and that and that's that's for me that's kind of like the um the most powerful part these days for me is just like allowing these energies and these uh, these reconnections to like move through me and happen because i i'm so fascinated to see where it's going to take myself in in our group instead of um instead of like just putting you know limits on it mm-hmm. basically and i know in certain yoga circles that i have been in we describe the arms and the hands as extensions of the heart mm. as well and and that our brains if, if our brain mapped our body, that our hands are much bigger. So mm-hmm. it has this sort of connection that the senses that our hands are bringing in is like a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And, and so the drumming or, or even the dancing and the movement, you can't see this as you're listening, but my <laughs> hands are all over the place right now. <laughs> and we talk with our hands and, and um, so that, that piece of it also makes sense to me that we would, we can't move our hearts as well, or maybe our hearts move in a different way mm. than um, the planes of the physical world that we're in, and and so I, I just wanted to touch on that idea as well that that as we're we're moving, it's also part of that heart space. Mm. Well, I feel like movement is life. You know, movement things that are um, alive. You know, what we define as alive are moving. And it, and the, even when we're still inside and our mind still, the, I guess the heart is still moving. It's still, 
every beat, which is so magical to think that like it's taking these chemicals and bringing them together to create this electrical, you know, shock wave that goes out through our cells and our world. So like every, even if we're not moving, our heart is still like interacting with this world and with the people around us and how just fun that is that we are like, you know, and it makes you really, I think you do have to have some kind of almost protection in some way because when your heart is open, you're feeling so much around you. You're feeling others. And I've been thinking, I've been working a lot with this lately because I have um, people in my life that are in some intense positions, you know, and dealing with intense people as we pretty much all do. But my whole thing is, is like, okay, they have, people have their stories, right? Like you were saying. And, and we all have ability to feel empathy for those stories, but people often want you to enter their story and like, and like they try to pull you into it. And, and even with children, it's like this all the time. Like they do want you to enter their story of like, I didn't get, you know, the right amount of chips that my brother did. I mean, this is, I know they get emotional about this stuff and they're like trying to pull you into the story. And part of you has to be like, I'm not going to fully emotionally enter this story because this is not going to serve me at this time or it's not going to serve you. I can like honor that you're going through that and that is your story. But what is and it's constantly a boundary of like, how much do I want to like enter, you know, another person's story or like when you're feeling another person's field, how much do you want to like fully immerse yourself in that feeling and that's where it's so cool like boundaries and techniques of like kind of protecting yourself in a way of um of like not you know whether it be like protecting yourself using your thoughts or your own emotions or whatever it takes to maybe not get involved wholeheartedly <laughs> in each other's story but you are involved but like enough where you can stand back as the observer self and kind of like help as an observer. Anyway, it's it's a it's a tricky thing for sure. I'm imagining, and I'll see if I can describe this with with my words. <laughs> I'm imagining us. So we're walking around, and if we could see a bubble around us as this this heart space and this electromagnetic field that we that we do have, and. <laughs> So we come into this space of your son saying, I didn't get as many chips as my brother, right? And and almost like, can we stand, can we balance it well enough that we stand close enough that our fields are connected without one like sucking, it, you know, yeah. make the bubbles join into one bubble and to say... Right. Like, gosh, when life isn't fair and we don't have control over the situation, when I don't get as many chips and I yeah. can't reach the bag of chips on the, <laughs> the tall shelf, it sucks. Yeah. It's really hard. <laughs> like, I get it, man. Without, without like, trying to fix it, like, and allowing them, someone to, and when they're closer to us, it's harder, but allowing them to have that experience and, and value that experience mm. as, like, despair or suffering or unfairness or whatever is part of being human and even though it's difficult doesn't mean it's less important or less beautiful or less yeah. valuable for us so yeah honoring that, that that space is important without taking on their responsibility for their emotions but also being in that space it, it is a balance and that is a practice oh, yeah you said it so well that's exactly it and I, and I get sucked in all the time and when I do get sucked in emotionally with them and start to feel fresh then I'm feeling frustration and then I'm mirroring back frustration instead of mirroring back like I I see you I, I feel you but I'm my calm self and like, <laughs> you know, so I, it happens on a daily basis where I get sucked into their story and then I'm frustrated and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I can't get involved with this. This is, <laughs> anyway, so we, and it's, you know what? It's fun and it is funny and you can talk about it afterwards. I feel like that 
is the most powerful part because mm -hmm. uh, young people it's such a, they're so great to practice this stuff on because they go through and they you know it could be intense one minute but then they're over it like you know two minutes later where i'm like really i'm still hanging on to this feeling like i can't let it go that fast i know it was about a bag of chips but i'm still <laughs> feeling this intensely where they're like what are you talking about that was like so three minutes ago <laughs> So it is, and I feel like not only with kids, but we have to do that in our daily lives somewhat too, is, you know, as you said so beautifully, like honor their story and like, and say, I see you feeling this way and, but we don't have to fully immerse ourselves in it because that doesn't help them or right. ourselves. Right, exactly. So if someone is listening and I'm sure they are that's relating to these ideas of you know and of any gender really but especially for men because I do think that that's an important thing to think about if they feel like maybe they've been shamed and have lost touch with that piece or wanting to recover that piece of them that's that's more emotional what advice would you give to them or where where might they start you know, I think my first advice would be to go easy on yourself. Um, it's not another opportunity to like beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. And um, and I know because I do that. <laughs> so that's what I'm telling myself too is like, don't <laughs> use it as like more ammo to like, <laughs> to, to give yeah. hand over to the tyrant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So why did they do it with the chip thing? I know, I'm really. So about it. <laughs> I know, really. Like. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and there's no, you know, there's no like easy like one step solution. It's that's what's so exciting about it is it's like an unfoldment through time, mm -hmm. and it's. And I am super impatient, so I hear you if you want it to just be, like, fixed immediately, because that's the way I am with everything. I'm just like, come on, let's just, like, allow this to be, like, fixed. Let's get it done. You know, like, it's like yoga, like, doing, like, yoga, which, where you're just like, okay, I feel tight. I'm going to stretch it so hard that it's going to fix it. <laughs> but it doesn't, just like that does not work in yoga. Not recommended, because you'll hurt yourself. It's the same thing for your your own emotional body and your mental bodies. You're you're not gonna like fix it in one you know fail swoop. So go easy on yourself and allow it to like unfold. You know in in time and as like a, someone who I feel like I'm older now, like 50 years old, and um, I I've seen so many things in myself and outwardly grow in time. You know, from like people, from trees to myself. And as I just put in a little bit, you know, each day and sometimes you go backwards and then sometimes you go forwards and you I, I feel like you just have to be patient with it. it is going to unfold if you can just put your intention and energy in it, you know, on a daily basis. So it sounds like setting some type of intention Potentially, if there is someone else in your life that you know that might also engage in this type of work to reach out to them as a starting point, because I know sometimes it's it's harder to reach out about something if you feel really vulnerable about it. I know that in a lot of spaces, including here in Homer, Alaska, but across the globe, that there are men and women's groups popping up with the intention of like having a space to be that gender and that energy and to talk about things that that subset of a human has in common. Um, maybe checking out the Heart Math Institute mm, was yeah. helpful to you. Are there any other books or, or other programs that you <laughs> have enjoyed? Um, I, if you saw my room, I'm laughing because if you saw my room, I have so many books. It's like, that would be really difficult for me to, um, to like pinpoint a book because I love books and I don't even have that much time to read anymore, but I still love them. <laughs> um, you know, 
I really feel like it's so important to see what resonates with you. And I, I'm a real believer in like a part of yourself that is kind of guiding you in, uh, you know, your higher self or some, you know, whatever words you call it, like tap into that part of yourself and, and just allow it to move through you so you can, you can, I think everyone is, that's what's so exciting is like, we're all so different, but we're also the same, but we're all going to be activated and, you know, led down different paths. And that's what makes it so cool. Cause I love hearing other people's path, but it might not be your path. So it's really an inner guidance. I feel like to, um, to find what really jumps at you. And, and really it comes down to like what sparks excitement. Like if you go through an inventory of the various modalities of learning, which one like really gets you excited? And then I feel like follow that because that's, that's usually the higher parts of yourself that are like talking to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And there, you're right, there are so many different paths to go down and in case anyone listening needs permission, you get to try out different things. And if it doesn't jive with you, you don't have to keep going down that path. You can choose something else as well. And it doesn't mean that you have failed or that you can't do the things that Doug has done or someone else you know has done. It just means that it might look a different way. And I think that that's important to remember because sometimes our tyrant judges that piece too. Like, well, oh, Doug yeah. said this was really great and really cool and I'm not feeling like the drumming isn't working for me. I just don't get the flow that he was talking about. What's wrong with me, right? Like, so try to move out of that space of, of judgment that you're not doing recovery correctly because there is no correct way to do it and into that space of curiosity of what seems interesting to discover about me and about the world now. And maybe like I was just uh, came through me is this whole idea of like when that uh, inner tyrant, that self-criticism part of you find like a way to like give it a hug or something. Cause it's, I think that's the only way Maybe not the only way, but one of the ways we can really um, recover from it is to not try to push it away, not try to demonize it, but to bring it back into ourselves even even deeper and be like, I, I love you, inner tyrant. <laughs> and I laugh because it does feel kind of awkward to say that, but um, it is, it's true and we can do that and um and I feel like it's part part of us. And it's afraid. It's afraid of losing control and power. And um, it wants that energy. So we can't cut it off in a way where, like, you you know, we cut it off from the negative energy. But if we can slowly start feeding it the positive, mm-hmm. then maybe we can transform in, into that. Yeah. So much of this conversation for me is, like, vivid imagery in my brain. So much that I could, like, create a cartoon or something about this podcast, <laughs> I think. So So as you're describing this, I'm thinking of my own journey and, and journeys that other people have shared with me. And, and there, I've heard this before where um, there's some practice of, like, having family roles but within you. So there is, like, the mother. And I had a counselor who used to call the tyrant the general And so the general was always like giving you very militant (laughs) directions and telling you that you were a piece of crap and like like all of these things that we hear, right? (laughs) And and over time, like literally imagining in my brain my like my present self or my heart space self and walking up to the tyrant and having these interactions and it and it really does so recovery is possible and things maybe don't get less uncomfortable but it gets easier to be in that space of discomfort and and so now the comical piece of this for me is I can imagine like walking into a room when my tyrant is maybe you know throwing things at the wall and and like just creating a a mess of it and and having that part of me really meet the heart space part of me and be like, oh, you're here, you're here again. And I'm just making this huge mess. And it becomes, it just becomes this like, oh yeah, it's, it's you again. And of course you're making this huge mess. And and it's more like, this is your character. Like, I I love you because you're a mess. 
<laughs> and, and I know that we all have this part of us that is just a mess, that is just in the room throwing things around, <laughs> being angry or whatever. And, and that's okay to have that piece of us. And, and so to over time, if you're feeling like the tyrant, if you will, never goes away, I just want to give that piece of hope that the t- I don't know that the tyrant ever goes away, but the relationship gets stronger and you do find this sense of relief and connection with that part of you that makes it so that you don't have to be in control of everything mm. all the time because you mm. have that relationship within yourself. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. I. And I love how you said, um, you know, the uncomfortable parts, because I feel like we often don't acknowledge that, that there's so many times throughout the day that we, I personally run from that discomfort and um, I'll find something else to like, you know, look at my phone or like, oh, turn on the show or, you know, just do something to distract myself because I'm like, I don't want to like look at that and feel that discomfort. Of something bubbling up inside me, and and it's not easy to pause and be like, okay, <laughs> I'll look at you, <laughs> but but in the end, I feel like if we can feel that and and go into a deeper that discomfort instead of just trying to disassociate and distract ourselves from it, that's where our healing will find our healing place. Doug, if you could give a message to everyone in the world, what would it be? A message to everyone. I think I feel I know that we are in a loving universe. I know it seems like we're in a place where there's a, so much pain and there is and so much discomfort and and so much trauma. But I do feel underneath that we are we are loved and love is the is the largest energy that exists. And if we can just take pieces of that love that, that is around us and, and bring it home inside our hearts on a daily basis, then we can heal ourselves and, and heal our world. Is there anything else you want to share? Mm-hmm. No, except I, whoever is listening, I, my heart connects to yours. Thank you for being you. Thank you, Doug, for being here with me, for sharing parts of your story, um, parenting, personal, professional, um, for taking the time and, and the work that it does take to connect to your heart and really trying to live in a, in a space that's coming from there. I know that that does take work and energy and reminders consistently and so i really appreciate you being here and sharing that with our listeners and for doing that in the world (laughs) thanks want to learn more about overcoming adversity and embracing the full expression of yourself visit speakwithsierra.com and book a complimentary introductory session with sierra today